Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 15, Do You See Anything You Like? This week, we're discussing the 2005 Doctor Who Christmas special, The Christmas Invasion, and season two, episode two of Buffy, Some Assembly Required. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy time, episode two. Um, yes. Quick little production note before we get started on the episode. If this was true in the first episode of the season, I did not notice it. Um, so I don't, I don't quite know at what point this change was made. But in the new season, David Borean is, or Boreanaz, I don't know. Neither of us really know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> the, the dude who plays Angel um, is now credited in the opening credit sequence with the main yes. cast. Um, yes, yes. And it's, he's the only one. I mean, I don't really know who else there would be, but of the supporting cast, he was clearly the closest thing to, I mean, he was basically a lead character anyway. Um, but uh, it, it, for whatever reason, they have promoted him to full-time regular lead cast member. Um, yeah, and it's and it's interesting because I think as you've noted in in a previous episode of our podcast, um, Cordelia Charisma Carpenter has been was already there, uh, yeah, credited yeah. right pretty much from the beginning. So um, definitely, definitely an interesting um, aspect that she was credited. Although we don't, I mean, she is. In episodes, but it's really only been the last couple, last few, where she's been um, taking a more major part. But but yeah. I think Angel, you're right, has kind of been right from episode one. He's been a player, so right. to speak. And it's like you know what I mean? Cordelia may have had more screen time than he has, but he's been the one since the first episode that's involved in like plot critical, mythological drama whereas yeah cordy in the first half or first two-thirds of the season was regular she was there all the time but was as more of a supporting or a comic relief that she's there Mm -hmm. for a laugh you know for you to kind of you know get a kick out of um yep and i mean she definitely in the towards the end of the first season and continuing into the second season is becoming more of a major player involved in the plot. Um, but right. it's interesting that they had her up there in the beginning and not necessarily Angel. So I don't know. I mean, that could have to do with um, the number of episodes. You know, maybe because she was in every episode, she deserved a full credit, whereas maybe if he only appeared in, you know, seven right, out of were... 12 episodes, you know, then then you don't merit the full-time credit or it could be something like maybe they weren't sure where they were going to go with his character. Maybe they wanted to test it and see if he was going to continue into the second season or if they wanted. And then they decided, you know, yes, we do want to keep this guy and keep the, the plot around him. So, I mean, who knows? Could be any number of things. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there was question about his character continuing per se, uh, but I don't. I honestly don't know why they 
did or did not have, um, you know, why, why they didn't have his name in the credits throughout the first season um, and then added him here. It, it's a good question. I, I simply don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't think that there was any confusion as to his increasing role as far sure. as that goes and, yeah. and continuing with the character. Um, but we will have plenty of opportunity in season two to talk about the character of Angel for sure. Yeah. So, well, I expect so since he's in the credits. So I expect to be seeing him <laughs> on a regular yeah, basis yeah, now. Of yeah. course. Of course. Right. 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 Um, but I know uh, we we were going to kind of start talking here about the monster. Yeah. Um, and I say that in, in very ominous fashion, the monster. <laughs> yeah. Because... For perhaps obvious reasons. Right. Because he's um, pretty clearly modeled on the monster, you know, the monster of the sort monster. of gothic literature, you know. Frankenstein's yes. monster. Um, exactly. I mean, the design. Well, I mean, more than just the design, but really the design of the kind of, even his whole physique lends itself to that. His sort of footballer physique with like the kind of yeah. buzz cut footballer hair and like big and kind and of buzz this, cut like, face. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like he kind of looks like. Um, uh, sort of classical yeah yeah of, he kind of yeah, looks yeah. like frankenstein did in the old mgm you know um in the old movies and then mm. you know the scars and the bolts holding him together and like <laughs> yeah so i mean all this is modeled on that but then also i mean you've got i mean more than that it's it's how he was created it's grave robbing and right um right. And pieces of cobbling people. together pieces of other people's bodies, and and you and you get the reference from Willow of electricity and that sort of thing being, uh, you, you know, to revivify yeah. the flesh of the new monster, the 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 bride to yeah. be. Well, um, and that's the I mean, you know, so then you've got the bride of Frankenstein. They're they're making him a mate. Um, yeah. Which, you know, there's elements of that in um, in Shelley's novel, but then also, even more so, there's The Bride of Frankenstein, the sequel to right. the, the movie. The, the movies, yeah. yeah. Um, which really kind of popularized that notion. So there's that. Well, yeah. I, I, even, I even started to see, um, you know, misguided but idealistic Chris as, you know, Victor Frankenstein, and then he's got... Uh, Eric, who maybe is his the Igor to uh, his Frankenstein, kind of the annoying lab assistant sidekick, kind of you know, like he needs like he he almost needed like a hump and a limp and to be yeah. following him around, like suggesting you know really <laughs> wicked things that he could be doing and everything. Yeah, so. I mean. The length of the name itself almost implies that, right? Eric versus Igor. It's, yeah. You can almost hear him saying, it's not Eric, it's Ivor. It's Ivor, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, Ivor. no, it's... Yeah. It, 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 I think, yeah, I think that's all great. Um, and like you said, yeah, going back to sort of the idea of the bride of Frankenstein or, or creating a mate. I mean, yeah, that's right there in Shelley's original story. That was right. that was sort of the pact that um, 
the monster makes with Victor and he begins, right. He begins creating a mate and then realizes like, maybe he shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he's already gone too far. So, right. Um, right. And I mean, it, it is a and, and, it's kind of a, I'll, I'll, you made me, this is your fault and I deserve revenge, but I'll leave you alone. So long as you can give me someone to be with because nobody well, else is going to be with me. And and it's the loneliness aspect, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean it's it's the it's it's the I no, everybody I go to thinks I'm a monster. And and we get that same sort of thing very much from Daryl in this episode. The I can't go out and be in the world. And so that's why I want to have a mate here with me. It's um he, he even says to Cordelia, you know, this is why I'm creating someone as hideous as I am is so that she'll be here. And that's very much a resonance of of the original story of, of Shelley's original story that yeah you know because because everyone he approaches in the real world um you know you get you get these uh people screaming and crying and running away from him um we don't really get that with Daryl he kind of like knows this already right he's maybe already seen the pop culture references all this you know maybe he's watched frankenstein he knows how it's going to go down so yeah all you know, he has to do is look in the mirror to know how this is yeah. going to go down yeah um but i really thought the the sort of pertinent part that hits me and um interesting because i i had actually never read um frankenstein the book um until just last fall when um when i read it for the mythgard class dr yeah. Surgis's first mm -hmm. uh half of the science fiction class. So in previous times that I've watched this episode, I've only sort of had the, you know, general pop culture knowledge yeah. and, and movie references and stuff. So um, there were a few things that really struck me. Um, and, and I think the one that struck me the most now that I have read the, the book um, was the moment where Daryl's at the football game and he's spying on Cordelia and he's looking out and it just, it, it resonates so much with, um, where in the book where the monster is hiding in, mm -hmm. you know, the cabin or the dilapidated, you know, outhouse or whatever it is, yeah. um, you know, family. where he's hiding and yeah. spying on the family and seeing how much fun they're having and how much, you know, life everyone else seems to have that he can't really share in. Um, yeah. And I but, think, too, yeah. that that he's um, self-aware because that's a big difference between... Yes. The monster in the book and the monster in, you know, the um, the Boris Karloff monster is almost entirely animal. Like, he, he's, you know, I mean, he has some intelligence, kind of, but it's more he's just sort of a lumbering beast who doesn't really know his own strength and doesn't know, he doesn't really understand, where, and he doesn't talk really at all right, he just sort of right. grunts um whereas famously in Shelley's story he's very poetic and he reads right, right, he right. reads Milton and he has philo philosophical debates and existential yeah. longing no, like a third of the book is a philosophical debate I know with Victor. And, <laughs> and yeah and he's very self-aware and very intelligent very articulate it's just that he his his intellect is completely out of sync with his appearance. Right. So it's like he could be a normal, highly intelligent person, but he starts to act 
he's his behavior doesn't start that way. It's only when people treat him based on how he looks that he starts to uh, conform to that and like you know to that he becomes monstrous. He becomes yeah. monstrous because well they're going to treat me like one anyway. Um, and right. and it's sort of kind of a vengeance on the cruel world and his cruel maker and everything. So right, right. I think even though Daryl kind of looks like Boris Karloff, he doesn't play it like that. He's not playing it as like a mindless zombie monster. He's playing mm-hmm. it as someone who is self-aware and who's oh, yeah. woke up and Chris said like the first thing that he said when he woke up was like, this is wrong. Like he wakes up with the awareness that this is right. not right. There's something right, right. unnatural about this. And and again, just like the monster in the book, he starts to conform to the way people see him. That he becomes right. violent, and he becomes and the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't necessarily start out that way. And even no. at the end, he's still talking and thinking, and you know, and rational. Um, even if he goes a little bit off the deep end. Um, so. Despite the appearances, I think he has a lot more in common with the novel than he does with the movie monster. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And I think, um, yeah, there's the intelligence there. Because, I I mean, he's definitely pulling the strings, right? He's the one, you know, behind it all. Although he doesn't know the science necessarily, well, at all, really. But he's not... Like, I think there's also a dichotomy between, not just between the portrayals of monsters, but the portrayals of jocks, right? Yeah. It, you know, he's he's a jock, but he's not a dumb jock by any means. He's right. He's smart. He's manipulative. He's, um, you know, he understands kind of what's going on and how people work and, and um, you know, how, how to get what he wants <laughs> in yeah. a way. So, um, yeah, no, I think that's all right. I think... Um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that that his opening when he first woke up, um, and we get this from Chris, like kind of later after the fact when things are all wrapping wrapping up. Yeah, that that uh, Daryl told Chris that he shouldn't have brought him back. That, yeah, yeah, that that this is not wrong. So I think there's that's another actual um, dichotomy too, kind of with other Frankenstein stories. Is he's not only aware of himself and intelligent, unlike the movie portrayals, but He's also aware of his former self. He has memories and, and he knows um, what happened before, which is unlike Shelley's monster and, and other right. Cause of Frankenstein. Because Shelley's monster isn't really like a resurrection of any particular person, right? It's more like he's someone new. That's right. Been, he, he's he doesn't, a, he doesn't remember have anything any, from right. a former life right. or anything like that. Yeah. Right. Whereas yeah. this is very specifically, it's using other parts, but to resurrect a specific person and bring him back yeah Yeah. and and it's curious because i'm not sure what they i mean i i guess we would assume that cordelia would be the same way if if chris and eric were successful in bringing you know using her head because it would be her mind that's the implication especially because like he's trying to like kind of seduce well and the fact that it matters that it's her it's not just that she's well for her physical features well and i mean part of it is that part of it is just 
he picks her out because he has taste, as Eric says. But <laughs> but I think the other part of it too is that he seems to have he seems to really want her specifically and it's connected to whatever whatever it was that happened between where he where she had some sort of feelings for him and he snubbed her or brushed her off and there's this right regret or you know so it's i think it's the way she looks but it's also her in particular and he's explaining to her look when you wake up we're gonna be together and i'm sorry and everything and i think it matters to him that it's her so that implies to me that she's gonna and probably because whoever has the head sort of has the memories like she Mm -hmm. would remember you know when this bride woke up it would be cordelia in some sense Right, right. And and we do get the, the moments early in the episode where she's talking about her pain. She you know, she says something along the lines of I I would have asked Chris to help me with my science project, which is so terribly difficult. Um, except that it would have brought up memories of Daryl. And that's yeah. kind of the first reference I think that we even get to And she checks her breath. Darryl. She kind of oh, looks yeah, into yeah, yeah. her hand. And and you know, and of course, you know, why are these terrible things always happening to me and yeah. all of that? But um, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's sort of an implication there that there is some kind of history with Cordelia and and Daryl. But we don't really know what it was beyond that all the girls liked Daryl. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he was playing her a bit. Maybe there was something else. Maybe she was playing him a bit. Maybe they were playing each other a bit. Yeah. You know, but there was something... Definitely, it, it it seems that there was something between the two of them, but we're never really given a lot of information yeah. about what happened before. So I think you're right. I think it could be that it was specifically for her, not just for her looks, but for, you know, also whatever relationship the two of them had together. That, and I don't even know. I wouldn't even be I, sur- I wouldn't even be surprised if it I don't think it's saying like he. Oh, he was really in love with her and it took death to make him realize how we felt. No. It's I think it's the sense of getting a second life and getting a second chance and being like, well, you know, I, he may not even particularly like Cordelia, but she just may be the symbol for him of the chances I never took, the the right. decisions that I would have made differently, you know, the things I could have done that I didn't and now I have this second chance and I'm not going to let that go again. You know, I don't know that it, who even says that they really had feelings for each other other than just a crush or whatever, you know, it's, I think it's more that she is symbolic of this remorse and, you know, regret for the life that he had that ended too soon. That would be my spin on it. No, yeah. I'm, and all that's just conjecture. I mean, we don't really, we can only speculate, really. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think we're given enough um, information. <laughs> so, I, yeah, yeah. Um, so, with regard to the monsters of the week, yeah. like, uh, like Daryl seems pretty clearly, and, yeah. you know, you can make the case for Chris and Eric, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about in a minute too but 
you know, kind of in the first season, we were talking about how there's the metaphors yeah, of yeah. the week. And mm-hmm. so um, did you get a, a similar sense in this one of there being as strong of a metaphor or was it more of a straight up? Well, no, I did in relation to the love makes you do the wacky thing. Um, okay. And I don't know, there may be other types of metaphors sort of buried in here, but um, I guess we can just skip ahead to that as long as we're on it. Because the one thing I thought was when Xander's talking about we want the unattainable and what we can't have and people don't want, the, that was such a great line, they don't want the pre-made ones just lying around. They want something that's custom <laughs> yeah. designed and, you know, and you know, cobbled together of, you know, a perfect amalgamation of all these different things and the unattainable, you know, that to me seemed resonant with like, maybe not so much with Daryl, but like with the bride, like of going out and cutting people up and stitching them together into, you know, into what seems to you to be a perfect match. Um, And so that's kind of, you know, and I think that theme of the theme of love can is doing a lot of other things in this episode too. Um, yeah, well, and I would say not even and and it's interesting because you're right in that conversation, Xander's talking about love and and you know the the whole the people don't fall in love with what's right in front of them. Um, you know that speech <laughs> that he kind of gives the short speech there, but it's not about love so much as desire mm-hmm. with Daryl. And mm-hmm. so like from that perspective, from, from kind of the monster of the week perspective, I, I was trying to think of like how, how, um, like you were saying, like he's, he's looking for something specific and he, he wants to mold it in the way that he wants. Right. Yeah. So like he, when we get, when we're get, um, getting the whole speech between Daryl that he's giving to Cordelia and, and he's telling her like, um, you know, he says, Oh, you know, if, if I let you up, you'll just run away. Basically. Like she's like, no, no, I'll stay, I'll stay here. And, (laughs) and, and that's, and that's where he says, well, do you see anything you like, you know, like what would, why would you stay here unless I make you as disfigured and ugly as I am? And at which point it ceases to be love. Really, yeah, it does seem to be love. Yeah. He's he's trying to make her fit into his ideal of what of what he wants in a companion. You know, yeah. at this point, I mean, obviously that's not what he would have wanted when he was still when he was first alive, and you know, yeah, uh, a, a great athlete, and you know, and and we get the, the contrast there. Of course, is is when Willow's explaining to Buffy that he was the kind of guy that every girl wanted. You know, yeah. every every girl had a crush on Daryl, and 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 now they don't. Now, nobody does. And in fact, for uh, someone to have a crush on him, he believes, or to even like him in any way, he believes that he has to disfigure her and bring her, you know, to his level or, or what, you know, however yeah. you want to kind of state that, like, yeah, that, that he has to bring her down. And so that, like, I would say that would be, I mean, I think there probably are other metaphors we can pull out of here, but that seemed to be sort of the big one to me was like what, you know, this idea of relationship, it's not, you know, are you trying to mold someone in the way that you want them to be, or are you just kind of accepting them for who they are? Yeah. And, 
And it's because Daryl doesn't feel like anyone will accept him for who he is now, you know, and, and we get that with his own mother, his own mother, you know, who's sitting upstairs watching reruns of old games and may or may not even be aware that her son is downstairs in the basement. We're not really sure. Are we that? I don't remember. We're not sure. I would think she's not aware. I mean, I would think she's not aware. That's the impression I got. And, and, but like, if she was like, would she love him? Because he's not the guy. I don't know. (laughs) I wouldn't put too much faith in her. (laughs) Right, right. Well, exactly. And I, and I'm guessing that that's how Daryl is seeing pretty much the entire world at this point. Yeah. Which, you know, other than maybe Chris, who is, you know, who brought him back and, and kind of has that younger brother devotion to him or whatever. But, um, anyway, so yeah, it's, it, it, it it kind of all stems from that Daryl's inability to see how anyone can accept himself. And so now he's unable to accept other people for who they are and needs to change them into what he wants and Mm -hmm. thinks that he needs, but he doesn't know if it'll work. I mean, Cordelia... She's still going to have the same brain, apparently, when she wakes up. Mm-hmm. She isn't necessarily going to find him any more attractive and want to no. be with him. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, that's... No, his only consolation... It's not like, oh, when... And he doesn't even seem to think this. It's not like, oh, when you wake up, you'll be like me and we'll love each other. It's like, when you wake up, you won't leave the house because you're going to be as scared to go out as I am. And therefore you're going to be stuck with me. And and that's going to be as good as it gets. And so it's not even like, it's not even like forcing someone maybe to live his experience and therefore understand him. It's like not even as romantic as that. It's just, I need someone who is not going to leave and they're not going to leave if they look like me. And and you can take it to an extreme case, and and it becomes sort of an epitome of of an abusive relationship at that point. I yeah. mean, it's it's you become dependent on me because I beat you down and and turned you into something you weren't. Well, you know? and and isn't that a classic abuser sort of thing? Of you're going to stay with me because who else will have you? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. You're you're ugly and you're disfigured and you're. Yep. Whatever, if yeah, yeah, yeah. who, who else would want you? Besides and you're, gonna, you're in fact, you're lucky to have exactly, me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're gonna love me because I'm gonna stay with you and we're gonna right. match each other, yeah, right, right. You're just like I am, right, exactly, <laughs> ugly and unlovable. <laughs> oh, I can't even like imagine that, but but that's, I mean, that would again, that would be sort of if we were to kind of. Yeah. Pull a metaphor out of it. But but did you have any of, other ones? I mean, that was the one that sort of sprang to my mind. No, I mean, what I was going to say about it was, though, that I I don't know if it's and like, I think this is something we can continue to look because I, I definitely think that the sort of monster of the week slash metaphor of the week thing gets weaker as the seasons go on. And uh-huh. I guess it's sort of just to note that it's still there, but I, I think it's not quite as blatant as yeah. it was yeah, in, I agree. In, in the first season, even though we're only on the second episode of, of the second season. Yeah. Like I, I think it's kind of toning down and we're moving a little more away from that and, yeah. and into more mythological and, and yeah. And more relationship just kind of between the, the players themselves. Yeah. Um, the, the primary players in the story themselves. So, yeah, no, it's almost like in, 
early on when we started watching, I kind of talked about how I imagined Joss having like a checklist of high school issues and kind of going through them, you know, methodically episode by episode. And it's almost like with season two, okay, we have a full season commissioned, the show's successful. Uh, he understands his characters. He understands his world a lot better. He's built up this mythology. So now he doesn't have to quite so strongly reference those relatable things. You know, it's almost like he can kind of lean, lean off of that a little bit and trust more into the story itself and the world that he's built and the characters and everything. And and again now because we're and not into... to and not to dismiss the first season because I think that's a really I think that was no 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 really well done I, you know I I was gonna say but now that we're we're into the second season we're also because you know again as we talked about the first season was kind of created as a thing of its own it was it was all finished and done before the first episode aired yeah now we're getting into like we were talking about we're getting into season two where we're gonna start you know perhaps getting into episodes being written and filmed and stuff as um yeah you know the earlier episodes are starting to air and so you're going to get some more of that kind of interplay and stuff as well yeah um that maybe people are more used to um anyway wow we've talked a lot about kind of the monsters and and the um thematic stuff do you want to talk about the characters or or did you have more to say well, um, I mean, we didn't I think talk much about the love stuff. Let me the let me talk stuff. let me talk a little bit about like Chris and Eric. Um okay. and then we can talk about I just, you know, and some of this is character stuff, but you know, I just wanted to mention that I kind of included them with Daryl as the monster mm-hmm. of the week. Um mm-hmm. because I mean, Daryl kind of gets insanely violent at the end but up until then it's not him that's robbing the graves it's not him that's resurrecting dead bodies it's chris and eric so they're the ones doing the bad things really um Mm. and so um and it's kind of interesting we mentioned was it in puppet show where they talk about um what if the killer is a human and is that mm-hmm. maybe worse than if it was a demon? And, you know, and this is right, an example. Right, because there's free will and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, because it's not something that is innately pure evil. You know, it's something that has the potential for good and, you know, all these other things. And so, um, so in this episode we get all three of them are human, at least Daryl was originally um and still is although and it seems he still is I mean, because he still yeah. retains those memories yeah. right um, so it's it's almost like he's just he's he's you know maybe a little more than cpr but you know yeah, like no, he's been he's brought just, back to life yeah. no and so still, yeah know, so yeah. but there's nothing none of them are there's nothing spiritual there's nothing i mean there's kind of pseudoscience going on but there's nothing like mm-hmm magical or demonic or supernatural or animal or anything else. It's really just people. Um, and you know, and Buffy has that line, you know, Willow says to go easy on him. Um, he's not a vampire. Go easy on Chris. He's not a vampire, you know, kind of saying, you know, he's human, give him a break. And Buffy's saying, no, he's just a ghoul. Like for Buffy, the vampire is really, 
very clearly black and white. You know, it's easy to understand. It's her job to just take it out. And that's easy to except sort of... Angel. Except Angel. Well, he's a different story. But for most of them, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. most of them, she knows what she's dealing with. There's no conflict there. There's no moral conflict there. Um, whereas, in a sense, with Chris, it's more complicated because he is human and he is doing this of his own free will and he's responsible for his decisions. And he's not even really a bad person. I mean, we're talking about the theme of love and a lot of what he does is for love of his brother. Um, mm -hmm. That's his motivator, at least. And yeah. he certainly doesn't want to hurt anybody or kill anybody. Eric seems to have a weird fetish with killing girls. Um kind of a yeah. serial killer in the making over there. Chris yeah. is more motivated well, except by... He, he doesn't... I mean... It, and, and it's more like he wants them to be killed. I don't know how much he... Well, I mean, no. he does try to grab Cordy, so... Yeah, like no, he's, I mean, it, he's he, not yeah. physically imposing. He's not gonna... He's not at the point that he's out doing the killing, but, you know, I thought it was interesting that when they search through their lockers... Um, Chris has medical textbooks and mm -hmm. Eric has uh, pinups like his cut up pinups <laughs> yeah. of girls oh. and porn. <laughs> and so right, you right. get the well, idea and, that he's and and you get that very serial killer vibe. Like yeah. it's the letters, you know, cut out of the letters the cut out. Exactly. But, and, but except and it's camera, pictures he's like, of. Yeah. And he's a yearbook nerd that's stalking them with his camera and everything. So, right. um, so, yeah, I mean, he seems more, you know, and it's like he has no personal motivation. There's, this isn't his brother. He doesn't, he doesn't right. love him. He doesn't miss him. There's no reason that he should, he's not doing this for any sort of, you know, loving impulses, however misguided. Eric seems to me like more of a pervert who's seizing the opportunity. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but Chris, you know, so it's Eric that says things like you have to take the life to make a life and it all comes out in the wash. And, you know, it's him that's pushing this thing of, we have to kill a girl. We have to kill a girl. Whereas Chris is really resistant to that. And he really just wants, I mean, he almost goes through with it, but he, clearly doesn't want to he really just wants his brother to be alive and happy um right right but yeah but as yeah. soon as you start dabbling in things you should not you know whether it's frankenstein or faust the second you <laughs> start dabbling in that stuff it's all gonna go wrong and he's you know making decisions that aren't his to make and he's handing out lives and taking lives and yeah. Out of well, his and, depth. And and Buffy sort of recognizes that cusp, right? She, yeah. You, you know, she tries to talk to Chris and say, look, up to this point, you've only dug up graves. Like, you yeah. haven't hurt anybody. You haven't hurt anybody, You know, the, exactly. the, the people were already dead and whatever. But, you you know, you, you need to stop. And, um, yeah, and that's where and that's where his sort of his statement of love for his brother comes out, right? And he talks about, 
And of course, Buffy at first thinks that he's talking about Eric, but yeah. soon realizes he's talking about Daryl and, and he's saying, you know, he was always there for me. He always tried to protect me, you know, he, you know, and, and now that's what I'm trying to do for him. So it, yeah, it's that, you know, selflessness leading to horrible act actions, you know, it's, it's, or what he sees as being self selfless, you know, he's trying to yeah. be the good brother and, and trying to help out. And you um, wonder too how much of that also is motivated by the mom, who is clearly right completely traumatized and cut off since yeah. uh, who since the firstborn, who is obviously the favorite, you know, was taken <laughs> right. away. Um, right. I got a. It reminded me of. Uh, Stand by me, you know, and okay. and the parents in that that um, that movie, um, mm. you know, that yeah. they they couldn't make it more clear who was the favorite, you know, and right, who's, right. and I mean they kind of treat Gordy like he's a disappointment, whereas this mom does not even register. Right, the, right. She he, doesn't, he even doesn't hear him. She she would rather watch videotapes of yeah. Daryl's old games yeah. than than have anything to do with Chris. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you wonder, too, how much of that is him trying to give her back what she's lost. You know, maybe it's not even just the grief of the brother, but your mom's now falling apart, and the only thing that's going to make her happy is to have her son back. You know, yeah. so he's just one of these people who is, like, by nature going to serve the people around him. Um Unfortunately, he goes about it the wrong way. Yeah. Well. So I think I think that line about love makes you do the wacky, even though Willow says it about, you know, Angel and everything, and I think it does apply to all the teenage longings going on in the episode. I think really that line is also about Chris and, mm -hmm. you know, the things that people do when they're... Yeah. Uh, when they're trying to make the person that they love either be happy or reciprocate or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got a few minutes left here. Uh, definitely want to hit on some of the character stuff too. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, so... And and a lot of that is sort of encompassed by that, right? There's so again, we mentioned a couple times, you know, Xander's uh whole little speech there. People don't fall in love with what's right in front of them. People want the dream, they want what they can't have. Um, the more un unobtainable, the more attractive. Yeah. And of course, it's funny because they're talking about they they think at the time that it's Chris and Eric who are creating some perfect woman that they'll that they can fall in love with right yeah. which isn't true of course they're creating a woman not for them but for daryl uh, but that's like just the tip of the iceberg you know yeah. the ironic iceberg that it, it's um you know you get willow's longing looks at xander yeah in the but same then you frame get... <laughs> it's it's they're yeah. in frame together so he as he's talking she's making these eyes at him like yeah <laughs> And then you get Xander himself looking intensely yep. at Buffley, yep. who obviously we know that he wants her. And and you can just tell that Buffy's not even like registering that no. she's thinking about Angel. Yeah. Um and 
kind of in a weird, I don't know, trapezoid or I don't know what shape it would make. <laughs> you know, Angel is at the same time jealous of Xander. Yeah. You know, and the relationship that he has with Buffy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, making Buffy seem unobtainable because we get that um, line at the end, you know, that um, he, Xander, this is Angel saying to Buffy, Xander gets to see you in the sunlight. And that whole, you know, the doom of not really being able to see Buffy in her, a true way, or at least, you know, or all the time, or, you know, however you want to kind of interpret that, yeah. like, you know, and, and of course she kind of brushes it off. Oh, well, I, I don't look good in direct light anyway, but like, yeah. you know, but like, that's not the point. It's like, he can see you whenever he wants yeah. to. He's yeah. not, he's not, you know, conditioned and he gets, you know, to be with you in school and he gets to hang out with you and hear about, you know, things that you do and whatever. And, and the clear, um, desire there too. So, yeah, uh, you know, for being 200 some odd years old, Angel acts just like a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just right, a little bit. Right. Again, just um, like, just like Snyder talking about, you know, gibbering teenagers acting like idiots then you get Giles and Jenny in the background it's like really everyone's just a teenager when it comes to this kind of stuff you know yeah, yeah. as soon as you have a relationship especially a pining one you turn into <laughs> uh yeah it doesn't matter how old you are you're still really a teenager mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I mean there's a lot of that in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even know how much, like other than to just sort of acknowledge that it's like pretty much weaving its way throughout yeah, the yeah. entire thing. Well, um, and my, my favorite being the end with Buffy and Willow or, or uh, Willow and Xander, Xander and Cordelia. Yeah. And do you ever, oh, do you ever yes. feel like it's a game of musical chairs and we're the only ones without a seat? Why don't we ever have dates? And then Cordelia comes over and all but tells Xander that she will go on a date with him yeah, if there's, anything, you, if there's anything, right, the, the, the classic, if there's anything I yeah, could ever do, yeah. you know, and to repay he's like, you for and being he, such a excuse hero. Excuse me, we're talking here, and he totally blows her off, and then, I wonder why we don't get dates, and she's like, right, I don't right. know. <laughs> well, which is interesting, because remember going back a couple episodes to the other guy who blew Cordelia off, and she was like, oh, I find it kind of cute, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm kind of turned on by the fact that yeah, I got yeah. turned, you know, blown off by this guy and, yeah. and, and all of that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely without a doubt, Cordelia's most sincerest moment, yeah. which completely reflects from the very beginning, which, uh, um, or not the very beginning, but, but near the beginning where Angel is like, well, Cordelia, Cordelia told me the truth. And Xander's like, hell, that's gotta be a first. Yeah. And it's like, well, first of all, Cordelia is like the most honest one of them all. Right. <laughs> like, That's the problem. You know, like yeah, she's, she's always yeah, been yeah. like the most honest one. And like here, it's not just honesty, but actual sincerity. Sincerity. Yeah. yeah it's it, like she is just. Yeah. Thank you so much for saving me. And you were really brave. And yeah, he's like, leave us alone, you stupid. Yeah. It's like, well, no wonder you think Cordelia. And it's is, the same. It's it's you know, a, it's a echo of the last episode when she said to Buffy I promise you know 
sincerely said, I promise I won't say anything. And Buffy responded by calling her a moron. Like, whenever, yeah. it's like kind of like, you know, I don't want to make all the excuses for Cordelia, but it's almost like, no wonder she's the way she is. If when she tries to sincerely connect with people, they spit in her face. You know, right, and and it's I mean, and I don't think you can extract how and much it's of a, that. It's, it's a her reciprocal thing, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a it's a one feeds the other. So, but you definitely can see that she's not nearly, and and you know, it's hard to say how much of it is in just in response to the situations that she's found herself in with this group, right? Like, I mean, there's something that kind of keeps her coming back to them well, right? she I comes had back that, to willow I, I, she seems to be hanging around them a lot more um and they even right. invite her willow invites her this time to go dig up right. graves she's like cordy are you coming <laughs> and she has cheerleading practice and you know and you know even if she didn't of course she wouldn't be caught dead but she's there right now like she's hanging out with them in the library so i think there's something in her that even if she doesn't admit it is starting to like them or or trust them maybe maybe it's not so far as liking them but at least is yeah. drawn to them and is relying on them as the group that knows what's going on and everything right right yeah she's i mean she sought out willow yeah you know pre and and not for the first time again you know she sought out willow before when she needed help with the projection equipment and then that led them down a whole uh, you know, line to ba- battling <laughs> demons from, you know, the Hellmouth. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely something that's drawing her to them in, in, and, and her protestations are too much, so to speak, um, you know, in, in how much she thinks they're losers because, yeah. you, you know, again, she finds some value in them to be around them so much. And, yeah. and even Xander, whom she comes to thank and, yeah you know, all of that. So, and I think too, um, the other thing in Xander's line, which is kind of ironic is that everyone's paired up except for us. Everyone is a seat except for us. Why don't we right, have dates? Right, right. You're paired up Xander. You are paired with Willow and you just don't re- recognize. I mean, they're, right. they're paired without any of the benefits they're of paired, being paired. But they're not. Yeah. They're not like, yeah, yeah. like why don't we have dates? Well, because you blew off Cordelia so that you can keep talking to Willow, you know, like, He's not thinking of it that way, but, yeah. but. Oh, and remember in the last episode when you were playfully, you know, putting ice cream on her? Yeah, nose? exactly. So <laughs> it's even not even accurate to think of, you know, they're thinking of themselves as single, but they're not really single. <laughs> right, right. Um, and well, and of course, speaking of pairings, we have to round out Giles and Jenny who have yeah. finally, you know, gone on their first date. Yeah. Um, and presumably we'll have a second one. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that there's much more to say about the two of them. I mean, it just, you know, yeah. the, 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 I, I thought it was the, you, you know, talking about the teenagers thing again, we get Giles practicing how he's going to ask Jenny out just yeah. like Xander was practicing how yeah. he was going to ask Buffy out and that sort of thing. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, some, some good yeah. stuff. There nice parallel. On. Um, but I fear we must move on unless there's any other point you wanted to make i don't think so okay then um don't deconstruct the segue but i'm going to start talking about the doctor now all right so the doctor (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> that's the doctor, Doctor Who. Yeah. What do you mean that's the doctor? Um, no, I thought that was great, Jackie's line there. The the yeah. I and I mean, did she ever know he was even called the doctor? I'm I was like when she said um, that, I'm like. Yeah, no, I mean, in because they visit home in the Aliens of London in World War III, so I assume at some point Rose. Well, that's what I mean. Like, without assuming, like I couldn't remember a specific time where she actually. I don't know, and that could have it could have happened off screen. You know, I. Well, no, but her reaction seems to imply that she doesn't know that he's known as the Doctor because she's. She's like, that's the doctor. What you know? Who? Are, what do you mean? That's the doctor. Who's the doctor? I didn't. Like, doctor who? I didn't get that. I got. I got because she says like, what do you mean? That's the doctor. Like, I don't understand. What? I. I. I see what you're saying. Well, because she says Doctor Who. Yeah. Like she doesn't know who. Like, what do you yeah. mean? Who, who? Like, who are you calling the doctor? Anyway, I. Right. I don't know because I, I would have to go back and, gotcha. and review those episodes. But at this point, like it just. It made me wonder: Did yeah. she ever know him as the Doctor, and and was he ever? Were they ever really introduced? And and like you, I would have just sort of assumed that yeah, they must have been. But that line made me wonder. Okay, it might not be anything. It's just maybe maybe me reading. Sure, yes, yeah. because I sometimes do that. Um, so, but yeah, the Doctor and the regeneration. So obviously, we we kind of left off, and I did watch the the little intermediate um piece that yeah. that you gave me but i mean that that was just sort of like the explanation i guess of the you know two rows is, yeah. yeah to to the episode just to say okay i'm still the doctor and well we and, and to... kind of explaining why they're crashing the tardis into the into the yard and why he's out of it and everything it gives you a little right, bit of right, context right. Yeah, well, and and that's what I was going to bring up was, yeah, the TARDIS is just kind of haywire. And there's obviously, there's a link to the performance of the TARDIS and the Doctor's ability to function himself. Yeah. Um, and and the regeneration process, I'm guessing, has something to do there. And, and, and so we, I must go back to my comments about what I would like to see as far as multiple regenerations over a short period of time. Uh And so, so I'm guessing what you were sort of alluding to was the 15 hour rule or, or something along those lines. That would be the complication in, in the Um, theory for me. Yeah. And, and, and so, and I don't know that it is a complete invalidation, but you'd have to account for that if that makes sense. Yeah. So, well, and it's, it makes sense that there's a sort of a, scheduled time frame and maybe regenerations don't always work on a specific time frame but um you but know it makes a time sense that there's where he's there, still renewing cells and there's has a process rapid to healing it all. And, yeah yeah um and of course he regrows his freaking hand yep. yep um you know in this so i would presume that if he was immediately killed again he would just sort of come back yeah the way he is that, if, within that 15 hour period that would be my that would be my guess. I mean, now, who can say for real? But I would think it's like if you, you know, if you stabbed him or shot him, he would just heal himself, you know. Right, Whereas right. normally that would, that would yeah, have more he, of an effect. He's super regenerative at that yeah. point. Um, yeah. Which is disappointing <laughs> in a way. But, you know, it's so is this... Is, um, this 15 hour period of 
the regeneration cycle? Is this like myth, like, or is this kind of the first time that we see I think an insight? I think it's the first time. I'm pretty sure okay. that that's something that Russell Davies added in. Um, okay. As far as I know, I haven't seen a lot of the classic series, but I, in my reading, haven't ever come across that that was something that, you know, was around before. I mean, if he had his hand chopped off, he could just die again and, you know, come back anyway, like, I mean, and have a new hand, right, presumably? Right. Um. Anyway, not that I'm saying he, the doctor, would ever intentionally uh, I, commit suicide yeah, I, or whatever. I, I, but, I lost my hand. I better commit suicide yeah, so that I can grow a yeah. new one. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that that <laughs> would or should happen. I'm just saying that, you know, it seems there. In so theory, actually, yeah. and okay, so I'm kind of jumping around here. But I wanted to also, before I meant to get into the doctor, I meant to ask about sort of the timing of this all. Yeah. Because there's a few things going on here. Yeah. One is, are we supposed to believe this is still 2005, Christmas 2005? Like, or, because here's the thing, hear me out. Uh-huh. There's a few things going on here. Yeah. First of all, when when the do- when the other previous doctor yeah. the ninth <laughs> picks doctor, up Rose, the ninth, the ninth doctor. doctor picks up Rose originally, yeah. right? And then like a few episodes later, it's been 12 months yeah. and we see Harriet Jones MP mm-hmm. who, you know, helps prevent World War 3 and whatever. And at that point, I don't remember where or even in which of those episodes. I think it's near the end of World War Three where the doctor is like, oh, I know who she is now. Yeah, she it's becomes like right prime at the minister. end. Yeah, yeah. I got the impression, and I haven't gone back to review that scene, but I got the impression that it was like some vague point into the future. Yeah. And I think <laughs> so, probably that's probably the the intention, the impression you were meant to have because I don't know that they knew – they were going to bring the character back at that point. You know what I mean? So I think this so is clearly bringing her see, in is more of more of a retcon that it's something that is in the very near future rather than something that's ten or fifteen years in the future or something. Yeah, and we talk about because they bring up in this episode again the the um, golden age, right? Is that what they call it, the golden age? Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the um, we get that, but it's like okay, if it's still two thousand, if it's literally Christmas of two thousand five, which seems to be the implication, right? Mm-hmm. That it's contemporary, but it that's not twelve months right. from yeah. you know twelve months plus however many because another six months to boom plus town. It, yeah, yeah. The, right. The six months there, I mean, you have the whole dealings with Margaret. I mean, I guess we don't technically know who the prime minister is at that point do we like, no do we see harriet jones there at all no we don't i can't remember okay so it's possible that by that point yeah which would be 18 months after rose is initially picked up yeah you know the beginning of uh, series one yeah i i don't know i don't i, I, I don't have a real which, which would place this at least to christmas 2006 yeah. i would and say because it would have to happen after that i don't have a real strong defense for it there's there's it's it's just not a very rigorous well i mean the well, only and, the only defense and i guess that's my it, question so the only so defense we... for it could be like if you if you then say okay if this is christmas 2005 then he didn't pick her up in 2005 that maybe rose happened in 2000 
three or four and you and you yeah. and you work it back. That's the only way to me that you can really kind of make the dates work. Because um, I agree with you, the whole 12 months in the future and then six months in the future doesn't necessarily work with the fact that this is a year later at the most. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I got nothing said, for yeah. you other than to say, don't worry about it. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. I, and I think the story is fine. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. Like I don't. It's think just. That, it's annoying. Yeah. I it, hear you. It. Yeah. The time. The time sense there isn't real clear. And yeah. If 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 we're just okay, that's the way it and is. And I don't know that is. any of the dates are really. I mean, like I said, what whatever the show is being transmitted is supposed to be more or less contemporary with, like, like the air date is kind of when the the present is but i don't know that they even reference the dates that often so i think it's supposed to be more or less contemporary but like i wouldn't you know i would try not to worry too much about like is it within this year or something because yeah. i don't know that in rose they ever say that it is 2005 so who's to say it wasn't 2004 i mean we only think it's 2005 because that's when the episode came out so right. you kind of assume that that's, but I don't know that they ever, like even in this episode, I don't really know that they say that it's Christmas 2005, do they? I think they just say, I, December I, 20th. I, they wasn't, just, I think they just say like Christmas day. So the, the timing question was upon reflection. I didn't yeah. look so, throughout the I episode mean, to see if there was like, or even like a newspaper or something on the TV right. or something that said you the know, date. A date. So, I mean, I agree with you that the dates don't really work and that that is a little irritating. My only defense of it would be that I think they're just going to occasionally ignore that if it serves the story that they do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I, I, I guess I can live with that. Um, the, so going back to the doctor then. Yeah. Um, some interesting points. So one, this whole regeneration, he's got like too much energy. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that that has more to do with what happened between him and Rose and the TARDIS and taking that energy from yeah, her. Yeah. Rather, like that, that's not a normal part of right. a regeneration Right. Like process. it's a difficult, it's a particularly difficult regeneration. So the whole thing Otherwise him, it would seem like he would go to someplace like completely not near earth or anywhere yeah. populated. If he knew that he was going to go crazy. And, energy yeah. was going to be, yeah. You know, drawing, kind of all these aliens and stuff yeah i think so because each regeneration you don't really get two that are really alike you know that they kind of and it kind of seems that sure and they're that based on the circumstances they're based, of his exactly. particular death or exactly whatever. so yeah, yeah. so the idea that he's or near death um so the idea that he that he's sort of bursting with energy and that he kind of loses control of himself a little bit and he even says like he says like oh my head just like rose said when she had the vortex she said my head it's killing me and it's kind of like he took that in himself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as a result is having like just having it's almost like a bad hangover like he's having a bad regeneration <laughs> right, right. and like right. 
And I think well, it's, and it's it's almost the bad breath version of what the um, <laughs> Slitheen go through, right? I mean, it's yeah, it, like like they you know are trying to fit into their human yeah. body host and have this gas exchange. Like it's almost a similar sort of thing to that. Right? Yeah, yeah, and halitosis and, of the TARDIS or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, but it's very pretty to look at. Um, but um, <laughs> but but then also that him being in a coma for the 40 minutes out of the out of the hour episode um right well, i think is unique to this regeneration um so it's not that he always needs to sleep for hours and hours right. it's like <laughs> to sleep it off to sleep yeah, it yeah. off it's like this regeneration was particularly you know traumatic and he needs to yeah, sort of yeah, yeah regain himself somehow so Mm -hmm. um but that kind of brings me to a point about the structure because i think while that is tied to the circumstances and it makes sense given why he died and how he regenerated and all this stuff with the time vortex and everything that that kind of makes narrative sense i think the other thing it makes sense with is the way um russell davies wrote the episode as the first episode for the doctor and you know and i was listening to some of his interviews and commentaries and him thinking about like how hard it is for an eight-year-old that's watching when their doctor dies you know and kind of Mm. how do we process that and how do we go through that and we rose is really the surrogate for us in the episode she's the one who says i don't like this guy i don't want him can you change back please because really I want my doctor. Um, you're not the real doctor. And the whole thing of having him asleep until you are so desperate that he would just friggin' wake up and save the day that by, you're with Rose who just, would you just please wake up and do what you're supposed to do? That mm-hmm. we're, I think all that is getting us to be desperate for him so that by the time he turns up, you don't care what he looks like. You're just happy that he's there and he's in control. Yeah. Um, so I think it actually is really um, effective for the story. Um, you know, and then of course, yeah, once he wakes up, he doesn't stop talking for the rest of the episode. Yeah. And Rose sort of goes through those, you know, the, the sort of classic stages, stages of grief, of grief right? yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, she's, begging for him to help her and she's crying and he left me and you know angry because the real doctor you know the proper doctor wouldn't just lie there and you know like yeah Yeah. and then sort of the final acceptance of there's nothing we can do except go hide in the TARDIS and you know um you know because he's gone like I don't know what to do like there's really nothing else that can happen yeah um I know I didn't state those probably in the proper order, but like, yeah, I mean, we I, do get no, those. Yeah, I think that's you, you absolutely know, it. Um, you, you and even the grief episode. is really, the grief is really important because like I said in the last one, especially under Russell Davies, but I think always in general, the the regeneration is a kind of death that she's mourning. And in the commentary, I think whoever it was, a producer in that scene where she really breaks down and starts crying to Jackie, you know, someone saying like, you know, why did you have her start crying at that point? And why is she so upset? And him mm-hmm. saying she's mourning. She's, she's lost a friend. And yeah. so I think he left me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I think 
that makes sense that she would go through like the denial and the anger and the grief and the acceptance and all that. Um, and, and again, as a stand in for the audience who, you know, you're trying to get them to feel by the end, feel like this is the same person and this is someone I can root for because the same, but not the same, the same, yeah. but not yeah. the same. And it, yeah, it's yeah. both because it's the doctor, but he's different than the old doctor. Yeah. Well, and I really, I, I really like how he comes out and he's just like, I'll be honest. I don't know what I'm like. I <laughs> like I, I yeah. don't really, I know I'm the doctor. Yeah. That's established. Yes. Beyond that. I real not sure. I couldn't tell you what's going on with me because it's interesting because that puts into perspective his own process of discovery, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it, it really brings out for him as a person that, you know, we've gotten hints before, um, like, yeah, oh, I'm glad that worked. Yeah. <laughs> Those would have been really bad words. Like he, he doesn't always have a clue about what's going on, but, but it doesn't bring to light. Like those sort of one-off things don't bring to light what he sort of states explicitly here that he's in a way just kind of like everyone else. Like he's trying to figure him, you know, he's to put it in, you know, kind of silly terms. He's trying to find himself, yeah. right? Like he's, he's, you know, out there really trying to figure out as much about who he is as everyone else is. And, and Dr. Who is a great question because that's, Seems like one that he asks yeah. himself a lot as well. Yeah, um, and I think the other question of the episode is Jackie's, which is, is that a different face or is he a different person? That that's yes, really yes, what this yes, episode yes. is about, is right. trying to answer that question. And, you know, and, and yeah, there's, because he's the doctor, but he's a new doctor. Um, mm -hmm. And, and... And again, I mean, they reference that all the time. I mean, there's the Doctor Who, there's what Jackie says, and then the Sycorax, just meaning to say, who the heck is this guy? Not realizing there's more resonance to what he, his question, but he says, who are you? And he goes, well, that's the question. Like, he really doesn't right, know. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and then, too, that idea that he's discovering it through just letting himself go. He's right. He's figuring out what he's like by doing things and then he's kind of like oh well apparently i'm like this because yeah like apparently i'm rude apparently you know, oh that's rude yeah like huh okay i'm rude not ginger okay um yeah and that one rant that he has about um am i funny sarcastic sexy mm -hmm. it goes on and on and on and then at the end i mean and then he caps with okay judging by the evidence i've certainly got a gob so Given the fact that I've just run my mouth for 10 minutes, right. apparently I talk a lot. And that's how, so he's figuring it out by listening to himself right. talk. Which which is also an aspect that we know of from yeah. The Last Doctor, because we get that whole thing where he's, you know, talking to the Daleks. He's like, if there's one thing I can do, I can talk. And yeah, if anyone's going to shut up, it's you. I wanted <laughs> to bring that up, though, because I think that is a constant for the Doctor. That, that, yeah. that You could say that about any Doctor, the, the line about if there's one thing I can do, it's talk that he's someone yeah. who can talk and can reason and talk his way out of pretty much anything. But for me, and maybe you can say as we go further on, whether you agree or disagree with me, I feel like the, that's a big contrast between the ninth and the 10th doctor is the, the ninth is positively laconic. 
compared to this guy. Really? Um, and, and not that huh. he can't go on his little rants, but just like I said, like, you know, this doctor isn't in that much of the episode, but once he wakes up, he literally does not stop talking for pretty much the rest of the episode. So even judging by his own standards, he's a very chatty, talky doctor. So you start to see, and I don't know, maybe I'm bringing a lot of the rest of the show back into, Yeah, yeah. No, well, no, I mean, it's an interesting thing because when you bring that up, I I was going to actually talk about you know, so again, you know, my first time, a lot of comparison to do, you yeah. know, um, I remember way back to our second episode of our podcast when we were talking about the episode Rose and we were talking about, um, I, I brought up the goofiness mm-hmm. of Christopher Eccleston as the doctor that I saw there. And of course, as you've mentioned, you know, in this episode, the doctor's asleep or mm-hmm. trying to go to sleep through you know at least two-thirds of it and so it's hard to say just based on that but given that we first saw christopher eggleston in a very you know world saving situation yeah um you know like he he comes to earth and we've got the nesting consciousness there threatening everyone once again you know we have a doctor just regenerated yeah although this time like literally just yeah um regenerated and the world is under attack you know and he does not seem anywhere near as goofy and and whatever and maybe it's just a different sort of danger maybe Mm -hmm. it's just because the generation the regeneration has been you know particularly hard this time around or whatever like i i don't know at all what you know that might be but i definitely did not get that same sense of goofiness like the first time we saw christopher Eccleston. yeah it's, so it's, i'm still kind of i'm still kind of baffled by that it's that... a it's a different kind of goofiness though because i feel like there are things that are just it's particular to each one which is sure. kind of what makes it interesting well, and, 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 and again acknowledging that yeah that he was not in the full episode and here. we're so yeah I, we're, you we're know we're judging based on half just, an hour yeah just just yeah we just met him and so i'm not i'm not trying to make too many broad statements about that other other than to just say that if i were to compare what i've seen so far of the 10th doctor the introduction is not nearly as goofy as the ninth doctor yeah although although i will stipulate that the ninth doctor did become less goofy (laughs) over time and and there were certainly more there were deeper aspects to him that were more um, earnest and and certainly more um, serious that yeah. came about. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, but I I don't know. Again, it's the first impression thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I think so. that's interesting because, um, like I think I mean I think there is the goofiness just to me is different than and I I don't know how I qualify their different types of humor because I think there is a lot of humor in this like you know, the little Lion King reference, like, well, the pop culture references in general. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, and I mean, no, the can, Lion King thing was fun. <laughs> I, I will then, and unexpected. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, we could go on just listing funny lines and stuff, but, um, but I think I would agree with you that there is an element which, and, and it's, I'm trying to find the right words. Cause I don't want to say, you know, 
too much definitively based on this one episode before we've watched, you know, a, a lot more. You know, I don't want to lead you into what I think you should expect or anything. But, mm -hmm. but you know, since you brought it up, you know, there is all, <laughs> there is this element of, of danger and coldness to this one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the kind of, like, well, okay, so here's a good example. So <laughs> he has this line about when he uses the Satsuma to, to throw the guy off the spaceship. He says, uh, no second chances. I'm that sort of mm -hmm. a man. Um, now, yeah. this is not so different in, in content from what the doctor said in the first episode with Rose when he said that I'm not here to kill the nesting consciousness. I'm here to give it a chance. That basically both of them are saying you know, I, I will give you a chance, the villain. Like, it's not my job to wipe out villains, you know, but there's a different spin on it. Because to me, the Ninth Doctor's statement is, you know, I'm here to give it a chance. Like, it's my job to try to save the bad guy as much as it is to save the good guy. That I'm here to give people chances. Um, whereas the Tenth Doctor is still saying, you get a chance, but... If you get a chance, that's it. You only yeah, you, get you, get, you get one. There you are literally there are yeah, there are no chance. seconds, and right, right. I'll let you go. But uh, but if you don't take the chance, as this Sycorax doesn't, and as indeed Harriet Jones doesn't, um, mm. that's it. Then he sort of gives himself free reign to deal with it. So yeah. there is an element it, that is more, it's hard because I don't want to say it's more serious or not. More no nonsense. More, yeah. <laughs> Which is my point. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so. But, uh, but. You brought up. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I will acknowledge that this is, we only see him in part of the episode here and, and, and whatever. But my only, my only point is to say that if I were to put, if, if there were levels of goofiness, uh -huh. I would, and, and relatively speaking, I would say the, the ninth doctor was goofier from what I've seen so far in an equivalent portion. Of and I, and I think maybe the, the, part the of that, doctor. part of that too is the word goofy because goofy implies a certain kind of humor. So, I wouldn't agree that this doctor is serious <laughs> and the other one is go is goofy or funny or humorous. I think they both do both, but this one to me, it's more his humor is more in the the run on sentences and the the language and the verbosity. Maybe. Um, and so it's not goofy in the same. Like, Eccleston in that first episode was about, like, you know... Playing with his ears. Playing with his ears, playing with his deck of cards. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we'll see. We'll see yeah. where that goes. Um, That's fine. That's fine. I, I, I want to... I mean, we've got, like, 15 minutes here. Like, I know. I, so I have more to say, though. So, there's something uh, I want to... What else do you have to say? There's something else I want to bring up, because... Um, Kind of the inverse with the, doctor? The, uh, with the doctor, and then we can talk okay. about other things. But okay. um, the sort of the inverse of the um, hardness versus mercy, I guess you could call it. Whereas maybe 
the ninth doctor was, you know, merciful in a way that this one is a little bit harsher in his sentencing. Um, I think the flip side to that is this idea of uh, domesticity. Um, so whereas you have Eccleston in his leather jacket who doesn't do domestic, who doesn't want Jackie and Mickey on board, who won't even sit down and have a meal with them. He's not interested. He doesn't do that sort of thing. Um, this one, I know it's not his proper outfit, but he spends pretty much the whole outfit in PJs and the robe and slippers. Like, he's cuddly. Um, mm -hmm. And it ends with a big group hug. He says, come here to Jackie, and everyone gets a hug. And then he happily gets dressed up and goes and has Christmas dinner with them. So I think that's a contrast between the two. And it's also a point of continuity because you can see how Eccleston's doctor became progressively more human as he went on and progressively more, you know, like yeah, he became one amenable. To, to, he became more amenable. And I think yeah. then you throw in the death and rebirth as someone new. And what you have is someone who, uh, seems to want to have that family and is perfectly happy, you know, makes no fuss about having Christmas dinner. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up as another, so like, yeah, I, and no, I think you can I, see I, the contrast, but you can also see how one leads to the other. Yeah, no, I, and, and I was taking that, I think more in a, in a point of continuity um, cause he comes, you know, when he first comes out, he's like, Oh, Hey Mickey, you like, yeah. Without the idiot part. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like he, no, he has come he, to accept he Mickey seems as far more affectionate towards Jackie and Mickey than he has right. before. Right. Right. Um, so yeah. And yeah. I think it I, is, I, I can see that. And I think it I, is, con it is continuous in the sense that, yeah, the doctors are different from each other, but certainly the ones I've seen, you can see how one leads to the other you do mm -hmm. get these points of continuity in a sense that okay he is someone new but what was it about the experience of the last doctor that helped inform who the new doctor is sure. if, like just like the time war affected the way the ninth doctor was now we have the ninth doctor's experience of being with rose and everything they've been through informing who the tenth doctor is that's that's good. Okay, but we do need to move on. Okay. Um, I want it well because now see I wanted to talk about the TARDIS too and sort of the connection there, but I feel like maybe we'll have other opportunities to talk about that. But, so I'm just going to note that the 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 whole idea of like the TARDIS not working properly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. With so again the coming into London, it's kind of erratic. Um. Yeah. And, 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 you know, not flying right and lands, you know, whatever. And then we get the translation stuff not, not working, working properly and all of that. Um, um, I have a, so, I have a couple quick points about that. Um, I wanted okay, to read a, a quick thing from, I've mentioned that blogger, Marianne Johnson at, she's sure. at flickphilosopher.com. Um, spoiler warning for anyone who reads, uh, her articles, you know, she will reference future episodes, so just be careful if you go read her stuff. But I picked out a little section from um, the one on this episode because it talks about something that you wouldn't necessarily know 
if you didn't know the classic show, which I didn't. Um, so I'm just going to quote her. Um, so she's talking about the first missing little scene, um, the little short. Uh, she says, the missing scene also has something that I'm not sure we've seen or rather heard before in the new Who. The TARDIS's cloister bell clanging in the background as the doctor's regeneration begins to be in trouble. The bell was always used as an indication of extreme danger. Well, I say always, but it was hardly used at all. It wasn't like the klaxons on the Enterprise, which blasted if Picard got a hangnail. When you heard the cloister bell, it was pretty much time to kiss your ass goodbye. The interesting thing here, though, is that the TARDIS itself is not in danger, the Doctor is. There's been all sorts of stuff all through the new series about how the TARDIS is alive and how the Doctor has some sort of telepathic connection to it. But here's the best evidence of that. When the Doctor shudders and cries out in pain, so does the TARDIS. So, just an interesting perspective, I think, of the classic series. And especially the Cloister Bell, because that's the first time that it is in the new show. And as she says, they use it very sparingly, but, but we might hear it again. So it's something to listen for in the future. Okay. Um... Also, TARDIS, <sighs> we see the wardrobe room. Oh, yes, yes, of course. The giant of wardrobe course. room. Which brings up continuity questions with how Eccleston got, the ninth doctor got dressed without seeing what he looked like before. But it, yeah. it, it does, yeah. Uh, um, Don't worry about that. Harriet, we need to move on to Harriet Jones. Okay. Because we've got like eight minutes left. Yeah. Um, all right, we covered the timing issue there. I, that was my first note under <laughs> her. When exactly did she become prime minister was my question. But Who the uh, heck okay. knows? Yeah. Yeah, who knows? All right, fine, fine, yeah. fine. But wh whenever that happens, she apparently is, you know, increasing Britain's space program. And yeah. now we've got Guinevere 1, Dawn of a New Age, blah, blah, blah. But um, clearly there's been some other little secret projects going on. Mm -hmm. Oh, like Torchwood? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Torchwood. What about that? What about that, huh? Uh -huh. But um, I, d I don't know whether to find her uh, Harriet Jones, Prime Minister, yeah. you know, repeated thing. I don't know whether to find that endearing or annoying. It like, is a by little the annoying. End, the it, only it thing that makes me laugh is when the alien says, yeah. yes, I know who you are. Like, <laughs> yes, even the aliens. Are. So yeah. that to yeah. me says that we're supposed to find a little bit annoying. If even the alien is rolling his eyes, it's kind of like, all right, this joke has sort of had its day but um yeah but i i think the main point i wanted to talk about with her was one her her comments her offers of peace right to the sick racks but then also the sort of the threat that she gives you know there's peace but the planet's armed um yeah you know very very interesting because it's like, you get that feeling that, like, she does want things to be peaceable, but she's also seems scared mm -hmm. or doesn't quite know how effective she can be against these threats that she knows exist and which a few others know exist, but which, you know, beyond the Slovene, they haven't really had any experience with. Yeah. Um, and that, that, of course, comes out later when she gives the order for Torchwood and I'm not we need to talk about that next because we have to save a few minutes for that because I'm not entirely sure I understand what Torchwood is but 
it appears to be either a weapon or a place where a weapon is that can take out, you know, yeah. it's like this big, like iron cannon or some kind of weapon that can take out, you know, this, this spaceship or whatever. Um, but I, I found it interesting because I, I found the parallel um, between that and when the, the doctor is saying to the sick you let, you know, when you talk about earth, you tell that, you know, you tell people the planet is defended. Yeah. And of course he's saying this meaning by, he's here by to me. defend the yeah. planet. <laughs> right, right. Has no clue about this torchwood thing yeah. or weapon at torchwood or whatever it is. And and um but I, I just thought that was an interesting parallel because that that with what with what um uh Harriet says about, you know, offer peace, but you know the planet is armed. We are yeah. not just sitting here idly on our own without any uh, defenses whatsoever. So yeah. I don't know. But of course, the other difference there being that the doctor was giving the rest of the sick racks a chance and she's not. Right. She's making an example out of them. And it's yeah, preemptive strike. Yeah. Especially interesting when... Because in the light of what she, you know, snaps back. And, and I get, you know, this is the, you know, come back to the upstart Americans who, you know, the president yeah. is trying to yeah. do whatever. And, and I'm sure that happens a lot on British TV. But, yeah. um, you know, you get the, the, oh, you know, tell him that he's not my boss and I will not have him starting any wars. But then what does she go and do? Yep. She shoots the aliens in the back. Yep. You know, essentially speaking. Yep. And, and, and so... Power corrupts. I just found that power yeah, corrupts, yeah, you know. Yeah, I just found that very interesting. The parallels there, but also the slight nuances that make them not quite parallels. Like yeah. it's it, yeah, it's just very 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 interesting. But I and of course then the doctor, you know, his his six-word coup yeah. there, the don't you think she looks tired? Yeah. And um yeah, and and of course we obviously know that that aid has to have said that to someone else yep. because by the end she's getting all sorts of questions from the reporters and whatnot. Yeah, rumors um, of about failing about health her and, health yeah. and yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, tell me what you can about Torchwood in three minutes and thirteen seconds. Um, so uh, we're gonna learn more about it in the season, so okay. you will get. Fairly. So you're not going to say anything now. Well, is what you're telling. I don't know that me saying anything gives away that much. It's not. It's an organization, so it's not just a weapon. So okay, they make an allusion to the fact that they have the technology to take down the spaceship that they got it from this other spaceship that crashed landed on Earth, and so Torchwood is an organization that is. Um. I mean, well, hmm. What should I say? Yeah, you don't they have, have to say more than they that. Have, That's fine. I mean, I'll just say what I think that what they said in the episode, which is that um, they say that the UN and most government officials don't really know about them. Um, right. It seems that the military does, and certain government, like Harriet, finds out about them somehow. So some some people are clued in, um, and that they have alien technology, which they've sort of scavenged from other you know, less universally known alien landings and sightings, which they have collected and can use it 
you know, as a defense against mm-hmm. alien invasion. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's kind of all you really need to know at this point. Um, and and okay. we're going to learn more about them, so we don't have to wait too long for that. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, interesting. I wasn't thinking of an organization. I was thinking of it as a place or right. as the weapon itself or something like that. I wasn't quite sure how to think of it. So Yeah. Yeah, um, no, Torchwood is sort of the collective name for this organization. And it's sort of gotcha. and it's sort of outside it, it of is the code name. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. and it's sort of outside of of the the parameters of the UN and the government. So it has some interaction with them but is also outside and in, in, in some sense, you know, separate from them. Okay. And then we don't get to see Jack. We don't get to see Jack. No. Oh. Um so he's he's presumably still stranded he's on He's stranded. Um the the satellite. But yeah, don't was, don't tell me. I, I was I'm, wondering, I'm assuming at some point we'll see him again. And I and I would only We did not see him die. I will only tell you <laughs> Well, we saw when, him die, but we saw him come Right, out. right. No, I I I won't say anything about that unless you want me to. So you can tell me if and when No. We'll just let that lie don't. for now. Don't. Yeah. But um Actually, just going back to Torchwood for a minute, I obviously I know that that's a spinoff TV show yeah. or there's one-offs or something related to that as a separate story. At what point does that occur? Is that sometime during this series it or will, does that happen later? It will spin off in between seasons two and three of Doctor oh, Who. Oh, okay. So, so we're... So, that's a, yeah. So away, season yeah. two... Um, I mean, it's not, like, I mean, it, it's still, like, season one very episodic. Like, it's not all about Torchwood, but a lot of season two is is kind of setting up what Torchwood is and the premise setting of it. So show. that at the okay. end of the season, it's going to spin off and then um, be its own thing in between seasons two and three. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Well, I think we hit all the major points. I had a few notes about Mickey and Jackie, but nothing... Too pertinent. Nothing. Um, nothing really new with them, I don't think. Um, other than, and, other than like the Doctor, I think they seem more, um, a little bit more favorably disposed towards him, just like he is towards them. Like, you know, you don't yeah, think although, of Jackie wanting to give him a hug or Mickey cheering him on at the end, and that's kind of not the attitude that they had before. Yeah. But we still get those hints of jealousy from Mickey. Oh, now, absolutely, I, I, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I thought we were done with that. No, getting but, it, but that's him. even still towards Rose. I think what's changed is his attitude towards the Doctor a little bit. Well, it's maybe that he's not holding it against the Doctor as much as he was. That's the thing. You can rely on me. I don't go changing my face. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, that seemed pretty much towards the Doctor to me. Well, but anyway. right, but, but in his interactions with him and they don't interact that much so maybe it's saying too much but just you know i'm thinking at the end of when they get beamed back down and mickey like he did anything mickey's shouting yeah we did it and it's defended (laughs) and everything like he's kind of cheering him in a way that i don't think we've seen him really do before yeah yeah well um but i will end with rose because we have to say a few things about her. 
Um, and actually, the only thing that I really feel, because I mean, we've talked a little bit about her in relation to the doctor and stuff and, and kind of her grief stages. Yeah. Um, you know, she does take action yeah. in getting them all into the TARDIS. And then, um, you know, she she's the one who recognizes that the alien's talking in English mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And stepping um, up and being... Like, I right, can speak being the her. one to, yeah, yeah, even though she clearly doesn't know what to say, <laughs> that whole, yeah, that whole thing, right, right, she does step forward and and assumes that role. Um, but just at the end, there, the she still wants to go, she still yeah. wants to go with the doctor, uh, even though he's changed and and he still wants her with him, yeah, um, even though he's changed. Um, and I always, I, I, I just love. Sorry, you can finish, and I'll say what I'm going to say. Well, I was just going to say, I just, I just love that that line where where she just explains um, to Mickey, but kind of to everybody. You know, there's just so much out there, so much to see. I've got to go. Like it's, we're right back to episode one mm-hmm. of last season, where it's, you, you know, what really, as much as things have changed, nothing has changed. You know, the more things yeah. change, the more they stay the same. Sure. And it's, it's, she just. She has that desire, and it's as she elucidated in 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 the last episode and in, in the season finale. She, you know, it's not good enough to stick around and live the mundane life. She needs to be out there looking at what it what there is to look at. Yeah. So it's not an offer she can pass up. Yeah. Um, exactly. And and I like her hesitation. Like I think. For Russell Davies as a writer, that's really what he does best is these real characterizations where you really feel like there's real decision and uncertainty and everything. Um, it's always very grounded. And I've seen the episode a bunch of times. And every time, because he, he says, um, when he, and he says, do you want to come? And he said, you know, I thought because I changed, you know, implying because I changed, you might not want to. And she right. says... And it's a really interesting line reading from Billy Piper. I don't know if she meant it this way, but she says, I thought because he changed, and then she hesitates, and then she finishes the sentence by saying, you might not want me anymore. But I, I've seen the episode, and every time I forget that that's the line, and I feel like she's going to say, I thought because he changed, I might not want to go. Like, confirming, like, I wasn't oh. sure because you changed, it might be too different. But she kind of hesitates and stops herself and thinks about it. And Hmm. that's always like, I think that's just like another pointer to the kind of grief that she has to go through in this episode and kind of by the end, wanting to be with him and wanting to make that decision all over again to, to go and realizing that nothing's changed, but at the same time, it's still different and it's still a little tentative. And, and mm-hmm. I think it is back to episode one because you're starting over again. It's a whole new, a yeah. whole new side to your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Wow. All right. So Anything we're else? off and running. No, I, I guess, I mean, that's, that's it. We've, we've, we're with the new doctor. Yeah. We're ready for another season. And Oh, really, really quick before we go. Just a few okay. casting notes because um, we have a new doctor. Um, I just wanted to kind of mention the behind the scenes because I think it's interesting. Um, so David Tennant is the 10th doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And he was working 
So as season one was filming, at the same time, he was working on another miniseries that Russell Davies also wrote. So he had written these two different things and they were being made simultaneously. And okay. um, so they were filming at the same time. Um, and like I said, it was like by the end of, by halfway through the first season or whatever, they knew Eccleston was going to leave. So they were thinking about having to recast the role. Um, and he, David Tennant, was um, a huge Doctor Who fan growing up. He started watching okay. it at three or four years old and grew up writing school essays about how when he grew up, he was going to be the doctor and everything. Um, and so he would just, you know, say to Russell, can you give me a role on the show? I don't care. I'll be in a rubber suit, anything. Just like, let me have a part. And yeah. so they knew they were going to recast it and he was sort of bugging them. So he and Julie Gardner um, invited him over to watch a couple episodes um, and seemingly just as, oh, well, you're a fan. You want to see the show before it is finished and airs. Um, and then offered him the role, like, mm. over dinner. Was like, hey, did you like the show? Do you want to play the part? Kind of a thing. So yeah. it's just kind of an interesting <laughs> story. Um, sure, sure. So, and I don't know if, um, uh, I don't know how well you know the Harry Potter movies, but besides Doctor Who, probably the thing that Tennant's best known for in the States is um, playing Barty Crouch Jr. in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Oh, okay. So you may, you may remember him from that. I don't I, know how many times you've seen. I wouldn't him. have picked that up. No, and it's a small part. He's not in it that much, but but yeah. that's probably he's done a lot of theater work and a lot of TV work in Britain, but not a ton of movies and not a ton of things that have played um, internationally. So that would probably mm -hmm. be the thing that most American viewers would know him from. Okay. So that's it. All right. Well, I'm sure we will have plenty more to say about him and the new doctor and all of that next week. Mm -hmm. So thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you then. See you then.